Mikael, Mikael Salin, uh, this is our third uh, podcast specifically on the Turkey situation, given your extensive background as a former ambassador in the country and uh, following actively uh, the situation not only in Turkey but in the region uh, for a very long time. We had the first uh, uh, podcast in the early part of the summer, the second one in in September, early September. And even before that we put out a report in the context of the uh, Royal Swedish Academy of War Sciences on the southern dimension of security with a specific focus on a potential upcoming crisis in in the Middle East uh, uh, with links to Syria and, and Turkey, which we put out in early part of the year. Unfortunately, it seems as if many of the predictions that uh, you made at that time now are uh, coming uh, true and um, that the situation is becoming perhaps even more worrying than we thought at the time. Indeed, uh, uh, this uh, is important for the work that we are doing together, you as chair of the um, security policy department of the academy, looking at now specifically the southern dimension of European security, where many people would say that this is not the fundamental dimension of security, it's east-west which counts for Europe. And unfortunately, it looks as if we are now seeing a, a, a development which may disprove that uh, that uh, logic and uh, may disprove the, the current assumption among many that uh, whatever happens the big powers will contain crisis in the in the Middle East and Africa and will not directly uh, affect us in a very serious way in, in, in Europe. Now if, if we start on the ground, maybe you want to say a few introductory words, but I just want to say that on the ground, in, on the screen in front of me now, I have uh, the first uh, uh, message from the Independent in the UK uh, uh, distributing a video about 12 hours ago that ISIS militants now are starting to break out of prisons in Syria after the bombing by Turkey. Uh, as we speak, of course, there is also turmoil. Uh, on the presence, on the issue of the presence of still of American soldiers in in the in Syria being targeted uh, by intention or not by 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 the Turks. So where are we? Let's start on the ground, perhaps, and then zoom out gradually. Well, uh, I could start by saying that uh, nobody knows where we really are because this is the situation that has clearly got uh, gone out of hand on the part of the main players in such a way that the element of unpredictable has uh, come uh, has overcome uh, all expectations uh, i frankly uh, never really uh, thought uh, but you referred back to what we have done so far that this situation, this uh, this front uh, part in the overall Syrian crisis, would deteriorate, deteriorate to such an extent that it has happened, such that Turkey has now simply unilaterally decided to in- invade uh, the neighboring country Syria, 
uh, with great uh, unclarity still uh, about whether it was uh, green-lighted by, by President Trump in that famous fame call last Sunday, uh, or uh, as now seems to be uh, the official position of the U.S., there was never a green light, but there was uh, simply an ultimatum issued by uh, Erdogan in Turkey, uh, leaving Trump and his administration uh, having simply to accept for the protection of their troops. There are very few troops that were uh, trip wiring the situation up in the in the border area to leave uh, for their protection. I mean, rather than. Uh, officially greenlighting this unilateral uh, Turkish in invasion. Uh, I think it is now internationally uh, very broadly recognized and certainly on the part of major European countries, but also in the broader debate in the, in the US security establishment, that this is a dangerous and highly unfortunate development uh, that has occurred and that there is very little understanding uh, for the, the reasoning on the part of, of Turkey that this is a, a legitimate act of self-defense against the perceived threat from the YPG inside Syria uh, uh, because of their link to PKK inside Turkey. Uh, of course, uh, we are now, uh, as expected, seeing uh, information, I've seen that today, that there have been indeed been attacks from, uh, allegedly at least, from YPG sources inside targets or on targets inside Turkey today and yesterday, uh, mortar uh, launches towards targets in southern, southeastern uh, Turkey cities. This has been a claim ever since the Afrin uh, operation called Olive Branch, ironically, uh, back in J January 18, where there were many claims of attacks from YPG inside Afrin against targets in Turkey. Uh, and, and those allegations of such attacks were widely distributed, uh, including by the uh, Turkish embassy in Stockholm, I remember. But this has been refuted, uh, and I have to trust those knowledgeable persons that have said all along that there hasn't been any concrete attacks by YPG over these years from Turkey. And uh, if this is correct, which I believe it is, then, of course, the reason for that element of restraint uh, in spite of this developing conflict is a strong U.S. Uh, pressure on YPG to abstain at all costs from any such attacks, which would give Turkey a, a pretext for attacks. Now, uh, if you have one scenario here, which is, uh, but it is to me unlikely, but still uh, a possibility, that if the YPG decides that there is no more protection uh, from the U.S., no more cooperation with the U.S., therefore no more reason for YPG to show this restraint, 
uh, as exemplified by those reports on attacks today, then you can imagine a situation where there will be guerrilla warfare in the difficult terrain of northern Syria, linked perhaps to activation of PKK attacks inside Turkey, and that this would be uh, a very ugly and very troublesome development in one scenario. But from what I read uh, today and yesterday, uh, the U.S. position has become again to re-emphasize uh, as against the image portrayed on, on Sunday after the Trump-Erdogan phone call that there is no end at all to the cooperation between uh, the U.S. and the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces, meaning YPG essentially, Kurds. Uh, and not only the U.S., but that encompasses the whole coalition of 80-odd actors combined in this anti-ISIS coalition. And, and the reason in turn for this, apart from all the backlash that Trump has received from his uh, decision in that phone call, is, of course, uh, expectations, fears, and also reports on all the risks concerning the fight against ISIS that uh, are accelerated now by this Turkish uh, intervention. You have the Al-Hol, uh, um, 70,000 odd um, ISIS-related camps with all the personal <coughs> tragedies uh, with children, including Swedish children being held there, but also in <coughs> encampments, makeshift prisons where fighters from ISIS are held and this and the risks of breakouts from those prisons. Yeah, and also that coincides with a more difficult situation in neighboring uh, Iraq, where it has been easier for uh, ISIS uh, cells and, and uh, to, to do attacks. There have been several attacks. So the overall situation of an already difficult situation of finalizing the struggle against ISIS uh, being threatened now by this Turkish uh, uh, incursion in such a way that uh, you have this, um, and this of course causes a lot of anxiety and also provides the link to the other crises inside, uh, inside Syria which are happening alongside with this development here. I'm talking about uh, Idlib and all the crises there, all the, the three million refugees uh, being stuck there in fighting between uh, Turkey-supported rebels, uh, the jihadist groups, uh, HTS and others, and then against Assad wanting to uh, resume control over the whole territory, supported by Russia, which wants to go after the, uh, the partly Russian international jihadists that are, uh, that are holding up in that area. And then you still have this uh, Israeli-Iranian conflict that are uh, producing daily attacks and, uh, and uh, a lot of fear in the, in, the, in the security establishment in Israel about possibilities of imminent uh, Iranian-supported attacks, including from Hezbollah. And that, in turn, of course, is linked to the... Uh, uh, if, uh, to the de to the developments uh, with Saudi Arabia and the attacks against the Aramco oil installations, and what that tells about capacity building on the various sides and vulnerabilities, and then you have the link also to the Yemen 
uh, war. So there are lots of uh, regional repercussions of the dramatization caused now by the Turkish Yes, I mean, you have the you have now, now the Turkish intervention in northeast, uh, uh, which is uh, the current focus of crisis management. Uh, si simultaneously, uh, some uh, odd hundred kilometers away, uh, you have uh, the Idlib province uh, and the town of Idlib bordering uh, the Hatay province of Turkey. And uh, there, there has been a, a ceasefire arrangement uh, holding the most, the most acute, acute fighting phases there. But there, are, there is daily fighting going on there as well. What, is, what has not happened uh, yet for some time is a major Assad forces uh, onslaught. But that, is, that could happen any day. And I, I, I suspect that Assad would uh, take the advantage of the crisis now in the northeast to uh, to forward uh, positions and then keep dramatizing that part also if i may then uh, maybe focus on uh, zooming out a little bit on the kurdish issue uh, uh, if i recall not being an expert we are talking about uh, a support from the u.s side which goes back at least to the gulf war in early 90s 91 with the uh, no-fly zone and so on and we are talking about uh, uh, having the Kurds assuming with through uh, President Talibani the head of state function in Iraq during a very sensitive period uh, from from the mid uh, 2000 for, for quite a number of years and uh, uh, where the Kurds evidently played a much more constructive role than was played by the Shia uh, Premier uh, Maliki at the same uh, at, in during the same period, so we are talking about uh, and we are talking about uh, a force, a Kurdish force, which has played an eminent role in seeking to defeat ISIS. So we are talking basically almost thirty years of U.S. consistent support to this uh, to this entity inside Iraq but also partly inside uh, other uh, neighboring countries. So, so uh, the enormity of this must be that this sort of start people thinking also in other places uh, uh, about the continuity of US policy which of course has already been questioned when it comes to multilateralism but here we have a very tangible aspect of uh, of uh, US foreign policy and strategy over a longer period. Of, what you're saying now is that there is a backlash in the United States that Pentagon is starting uh, to voice concern and, and the uh, American Defense Secretary has, has talked to his counterpart in Turkey etc. So how strong is this US backlash? Do you think they will come back to their original uh, position of supporting the Kurds? I first say, uh, but this is a very, very important uh, issue that you're raising now, but concerning the Kurds, uh, we have to, uh, I mean, it's a hundred years or so uh, at the end of the First World War when the fate of Kurds uh, became that they are the biggest uh, minority in the world not having their own state. So there's uh, this lingering issue with the constant disappointments uh, from Kurds on the, on the international community and this lack of support. 
then you have the fact that uh, that Kurds therefore have been divided between uh, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Iran, northwestern Iran, and and also Azerbaijan. So they are divided uh, uh, between those countries and also divided in terms of. Uh, of secular versus uh, Sunni Muslim, and there are uh, tribal differences, etc., etc. So, uh, in the case of the U.S., yes, it was uh, the U.S. support that saved Kurds in Iraq after the uh, after the uh, first Gulf War uh, and the no-fly zone that was established, uh, which paved the way for a an autonomous status uh, for Kurds in the northern part of Iraq. The problem, however, being that <clears throat> PKK in Turkey had their headquarters in the uh, in the mountain, mountainous areas of northernmost Iraq. So that always complicated relations between various factions with uh, among the uh, among the Kurds. And then now you have the Syrian arena, which has been dormant for many years and now been activated. So what I see uh, from the um, uh, from the U.S. side is that this <coughs> the, <coughs> these developments now with the unilateral Turkish incursion has created a renewed wave of sympathy for the Kurdish cause in the within the U.S. security establishment. Uh, and uh, even Republicans, uh, or not least Republicans like Lindsey Graham and others, have been expressing things which will, I think, make it impossible for for the U.S. Uh, president, uh, for all his links to uh, to his uh, colleague and friend uh, Erdogan in Turkey. And there are now also suspicions of business links, by the way, in the most recent reporting. Uh, it will be very difficult for Trump, uh, with all his other difficulties, uh, uh, to back down uh, from uh, basic support for for the Kurdish cause inside Syria. Uh, the links between the Kurdish cause in Syria and and the, the various other Kurdish issues uh, is difficult to pinpoint now. I think we have to. Uh, to um, look mainly at, at Syria and the Kurds there, with the risk that per perceived lack of U.S. support will create a temptation for PKK in... in, in uh, uh, but we should add also that the Kurdish issue is one that will determine the fate of Turkey and Turkish democracy, because uh, Kurds in Turkey are a major factor uh, they are a, a large uh, minority. Uh, they are the majority in southeastern Turkey. Uh, Erdogan himself has realized long ago that uh, there needs to be some kind of settlement to the long-standing Kurdish issue inside Turkey. The problem now is that as a result of various developments, in, including those in Syria, have uh, tended to securitize and militarize dealings with this issue. There was a uh, peace uh, process going on until things started to fall apart uh, a couple of years ago uh, inside Turkey. So uh, uh, there are all these links and there will be no peace generally in the region 
before there is a settlement inside Turkey to its Kurdish issue. I think everyone is in agreement on that. And there is no way that uh, Turkey, the Turkish state, will solve this problem by military incursions everywhere. Uh, because as pointed out uh, by, for example, Asi Aydun Tashbash in a, in, in a remar remarkable article the other day, uh, however deep the Turkish army enters into Syria, there will always be uh, remainders that, uh, that, uh, that last. So you haven't solved anything long term simply by pushing away. Uh, you can't uh, define away the Kurds, they are there and they need Need to uh, there needs to be a solution. That's that's for sure. So um, against this background, is it now appropriate to talk a little bit about Turkey and the EU? Yes, because uh, I was struck by the if you look on the Swedish uh, side, uh, the language used by the Swedish government in the last days ahead of the uh, the General Affairs Council in in Brussels on Monday. Uh, mm. uh, I, I haven't heard that kind of language. Uh, on, on Turkey uh, for a very long time. Maybe mm. there was such language in connection with the Cyprus issue. Uh, but, uh, but now we're clearly talking about sanctions. We are talking about uh, withdrawal of assistance in, in the accession process, etc., etc., which makes one feel that uh, uh, even the candidate status of the country might be in question. Yes, I have, uh, since I've been on this Turkey file for so long and served there in the in the 90s, late 90s uh, as ambassador, I have seen the comings and goings of various uh, various uh, moves prevailing. For a long time, uh, during my time in Turkey, Sweden, because of it, their sympathies being uh, raised there for the Kurdish cause, PKK presence, uh, radio, broadcast, etc., Turks used to look upon Sweden as uh, the uh, second only to Greece, the, the most, most unfriendly voice. Now we have been, since Annalyn, since Carl Bildt, other figures, uh, been, been seen as a, the friendliest voice uh, for Turkey inside the EU. And you're right now, of course, with these developments, uh, I've, seen the, I've seen that same uh, uh, change of tone. I have also noticed that uh, what the uh, three countries uh, in the Security Council uh, of the UN were trying to achieve the other day, uh, I'm talking about France, Germany and and UK, condemning uh, this uh, incursion, calling it invasion. And whenever uh, Erdogan hears the word uh, invasion, he is very upset because he thinks that this is simply an anti-terror uh, uh, operation that uh, the EU should support. So there is a clearly a lack of uh, meeting of minds now. Uh, I noticed that in the, um, uh, in, in a way bizarrely, uh, in the UN Security Council, there was objections both by Russia and, and by the US. For various, for different reasons, uh, against this proposed resolution condemning this uh, operation, so it shows uh, how divided uh, the world stage is on these issues. But for the EU, it's going to be a very, very tricky situation because the EU is still stuck in the uh, refugee migration issues connected to Turkey, 
and uh, it was not taken kindly by uh, Donald Tusk, for example, uh, in a speech in, uh, I think it was in Cyprus the other day only, uh, commenting on Erdogan saying that if the EU is not helping us establish this uh, uh, safe area in northern Syria uh, and to resettle Syrian refugees stuck in Turkey now, 3.6 million, then I'm afraid, uh, he said, wake up Europe, uh, I'm going to reopen the gates and uh, have them the refugees uh, go back to the or instead proceed to Europe, causing even more crises than were caused uh, in the 2015 crisis. So the EU is struggling with this dilemma. How can you solve this uh, this existential threat of uh, of disorderly migration flows without having a functioning relations a relationship with Turkey? Uh, because of its size and its uh, location. So it's a big dilemma, but I see a hardening of tone now, and I don't see uh, easy days ahead for the new commission and, uh, and, uh, and, and the council. The council is going to struggle with, with the Brexit issues now next, next week, but they have to spend time about the Turkish Turkey file as well. Yeah, and there is talk about the weapons embargo. Do you think that will happen? Um, I think so. Uh, uh, I know there's a lot of reluctance on the part of many. Uh, I do think that this is going to be seen as a proportionate thing to do uh, because of this uh, weaponization of crisis management in, from the part of Turkey now. So, yes, I think so, uh, for all the reluctance on the part of some. Yeah. I saw, I saw that uh, Norway, for example, not yes. a member of the EU, uh, decided uh, similarly. And uh, Norway was uh, recently visited by the strong arm uh, Turkish uh, foreign minister. So, uh, Turkey has a problem of convincing others about the legitimacy of its cause. Now, and this is going to be uh, showing effects uh, in various ways. Speaking of Norway, may I also add that uh, the General Secretary of yes. NATO, Jens Stoltenberg, was in Ankara yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And there uh, he had, as, as we hinted before, uh, in front of the uh, anniversary of NATO, uh, 70 years uh, event in December, he has uh, quite a struggle now to find ways uh, for all the hostility between the major uh, NATO members, Turkey and and the US, still to be the voice of, uh, of uh, restraint and accommodation. So his, his uh, message, uh, he said, uh, I read this morning, that uh, he is, uh, gra- we in NATO are gravely concerned uh, about this new development and there must be restraint, things like this. But his counterpart, uh, in this case, uh, Foreign Minister Javosulo, was was saying that it is not enough now for NATO and NATO countries simply to say in general terms that we, we understand, we acknowledge uh, Turkey's uh, security concerns. Uh, there must be active, uh, unfettered, NATO support for our legitimate cause. And when when Turkey says this, 
it's a way of uh, showing uh, that this is really a, a hard question for for NATO to solve. Uh, and uh, I should add also that uh, Mr. Chavosolo was saying, uh, uh, speaking about uh, arms embargo, that all these uh, these cries concerning arms embargo only legitimizes further our decision to buy Russian uh, air defense systems because we cannot be uh, at the mercy always of uh, of uh, our very lukewarm friends in the West uh, for our security concerns. So he, he, made, he made that link, which was uh, interesting to me. Yes, and uh, at the same time, uh, American uh, colleagues on the uh, Twitter, in the Twitter flow now, uh, almost daily reminds of the fact that there are still uh, uh, quite a number of hydrogen bombs uh, stored on on uh, on Turkish territory uh, allegedly yeah. I mean, I know that there is a question about it but some very ex uh, eminent experts on this argue that this is the case that there are still 50 uh, B2 uh, B61 bombs uh, stored on the Incirlik base or close to mm. the Incirlik base in in, in Turkey mm. which is of course an extraordinary situation uh, yeah. that uh, that uh, uh, this is one of the few rem remnants uh, of uh, of the vast uh, NATO nuclear presence in uh, in Europe uh, mm. before uh, during the Cold War. And there is also the uh, missile defense uh, base or installation in Malatya in the, in also in the southeast. So the whole area, south southeastern Turkey, is so linked to to the Middle East crisis area, but also to the east-west uh, west versus Russia issues. Yeah. So it only uh, it only pinpoints further the strategic importance of Turkey being yeah. in the midst in the midst of all this. I was uh, I was uh, about the EU issue. Finally, uh, struck by the fact that. Uh, uh, there is a difference in tone, a very, uh, very significant difference in tone uh, using the EU uh, on the EU posture between the current High Representative Mogherini, whom I listened to in person in Bruges uh, earlier this week, uh, talking about her legacy uh, concerning defense, uh, migration, and multilateralism, uh, on the one hand, and uh, and the uh, uh, hearing of the incoming uh, high representative designate uh, Joseph Borrell, former president of the European Parliament, who, who spoke in, in completely different terms about what the EU now needs to do. Uh, we know that uh, Carl Bildt and others, Mark Leonard and others on Project Syndicate have argued that uh, the EU now must move towards the language of power. And this was exactly how Borrell started his presentation to the European uh, Parliament that there has to be much more of coercion, so to say, in the in the in the EU posture and the EU instruments. Uh, whereas uh, Mogherini still maintained uh, a focus on uh, assistance, helping, uh, uh, of course, to outsource some of the problems from Europe through by building a more resilient neighborhood, but basically still focusing on the assistance aspect of external relations and defense and security. So it would be interesting to see to what extent uh, 
Ursula von der Leyen and Borrell, I don't know about Michel yet, I haven't heard him say much, the new president of the European Council incoming. But it will be interesting to see whether they will really be able to mobilize European countries around this. This in turn, of course, will very much depend on what happens with Brexit towards the end of this month. Absolutely. Uh, my comment on this would be that uh, the problem for Borrell and for others uh, will, of course, be that if you don't have the resources to make your case uh, credible, then it's hard to make your bark credible uh, if you want to have more sort of use of the language of power. Power without uh, resources uh, will be barking without a bite. So you have this dilemma. And of course, uh, but, but, but then, of course, uh, the question is, what are the resources that are relevant from this perspective? Yeah. Are we also talking about big-time economic mm. uh, coercion or uh, sanctions that really yeah. would... Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not, uh, it's not uh, just military, uh, but it's uh, straight language, uh, and it's a question of also weighing short-term uh, credibility gains uh, towards uh, longer-term dilemmas uh, and turkey is uh, such a, a good example of, of, a, of a big big dilemma for 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 europe because uh, turkey is there and turkey has greece as a neighbor and uh, the cyprus issue still is unsolved and with the uh, build up of tension over the uh, petroleum uh, exploration activities in eastern mediterranean coinciding as it is with uh, increasing needs for Russian uh, power production because Russia is now uh, building up its uh, bases in Latakia and Tartus in, in Syria, needing the transports uh, through the Bosporus into the Black Sea. So you have that link as well. Everything is linked. Uh, can I also say about the EU that uh, for the EU, and I understand that it was uh, Hungary paradoxically that was uh, arguing for restraint concerning reactions from the EU to Turkey developments, uh, Hungary of all, uh, having their own perhaps reasons for that, but it's still interesting. But then you have to consider, but because the discussion in the US now and its uh, planned sanctions, uh, as uh, announced yesterday by the, by the governmental spokesperson, uh, and by uh, from the various uh, sanctions being planned by uh, by actors in Congress, and these sanctions uh, still not applied but planned, they are uh, directed against uh, Erdogan personally. His assets uh, directed against the military capabilities of of Turkey um, and and of course also linking up to this S-400 issue and the Katsa uh, sanctions uh, that uh, are still pending because Trump has been holding all this for such a long time. Maybe he cannot uh, do any longer. So um, the, the West versus Turkey uh, EU and US uh, link up and then linked to the issue of Russia. It's a great and highly dangerous dynamics being uh, unfolded here. Uh, if you agree on the Russian perspective, because uh, 
looking over the long term, what what I see is the um, is a strong intention on the Russian side to continue uh, a line of policy uh, which has now been recreated after after the Cold War by by Putin. Uh, whereas there was some doubt in the Middle East, uh, for instance, around the October War or just before the October War about the Russians' uh, support uh, to um, uh, countries like Egypt and Syria, uh, where the Russians withdrew uh, suddenly 20,000 observers in 1972. It now seems to me, maybe I'm wrong, that Russia is making a point of being very steadfast in its support to countries like or regimes such as the Assad regime, almost ir- almost irrespective of what they do. I mean, there are there are limits, of course, when we come to chemical weapons and so on. But but basically, they are trying very hard to be consistent so that people know what is the Russian line. Uh, Putin surrounds himself with people who have been there for close to 30 years uh, in the leadership, both Lavrov and Ushakov and others. So, so it's a very, very strong uh, uh, distinction there between Western policies, which are changing all the time, both in Europe and in the United States, uh, whereas Russia is, is trying to pursue and try to be predictable in a way which, uh, which, uh, which is not at all, uh, seems to be an asset from a Trumpian perspective. But how would you cont- how would you how would they square the circle here? On the one hand, worried about an escalation; on the other, uh, want to be persistent in their support to Assad and other possible partners; and thirdly, using the opportunity to to gain ground, so to say, with countries like Turkey. There's a lot to say about this. Uh, I I would say number one. Having decided back in 2015, four years ago, uh, to intervene into the Syrian crisis, seeing that uh, Assad was almost uh, falling under the pressure of uh, more or less jihadist uh, groups uh, inside Syria. And this, of course, as we have seen, turned around the the original uh, civil war in in Syria to Assad's uh, advantage. That is one thing. Uh, it has been using the Syrian crisis also as an exhibition pond for Russian military we- weapons that have been tested and shown to the world uh, for their efficiency, including cruise missiles uh, issued from uh, Caspian Sea, long-term hitting targets. Uh, they have uh, established uh, sort of on-the-ground uh, uh, early warning uh, contacts with the the Americans uh, with the mutual interest in avoiding unnecessary unplanned uh, clashes because of the density in the in the airspace of of Syria. Uh, then you have the uh, uh, you're absolutely right in this element of consistency because uh, Putin has been able to say that we are simply uh, defending the legitimate government of Syria. Uh, we cannot. Uh, have anything else, um, good or bad, whether you like it or not, but you have to support the existing legitimate legal government. And this is a line of, of consistency which they have followed. Then, uh, with, because of this, um, because of its presence also militarily, Putin has made himself the indispensable player in diplomacy. So that he constantly meets with Netanyahu from Israel and uh, and the MBS from Saudi Arabia and uh, 
uh, Assad, of course, uh, with the Iranians, uh, uh, with the government of, of Iraq as well. So strangely, uh, but also as a measurement of uh, receding U.S. presence and uh, deemed relevance, he has somehow replaced the U.S., taken the uh, filled the void uh, in, in a way which is uh, seen to be rather skillful, and uh, lots of meetings taking place, in, especially in Sochi, close by. Uh, but then uh, also Russia has its own goals, uh, uh, managing these various voices and then, of course, working with Turkey as a way to undermine NATO, but not so too much uh, so that it would uh, put into question the whole uh, the Turkish NATO membership. That's, I think, not in, in Russia's interest to go that far. It's more useful to have Turkey as, as a troubleshooter inside NATO and playing with it because somehow Putin is still open for and in need of uh, some working relationship with the US. Uh, but that has become harder because of the discrepancy of the Russia policy between Trump himself and his, his government. So it's all this. But you are right in stressing that uh, Russia really has become an uh, important player and it has clearly used the Middle East as a measurement to enhance his status as an indispensable player in, in world politics. Yeah, and, 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 and does this mean that, I mean, there was a tendency uh, around uh, the uh, Iraq war in 2003 uh, that some European countries, in particular Germany, uh, but also for instance Chirac, uh, uh, saw a lot of... Uh, uh, of um, validity in some of the Russian arguments uh, there ahead of the the, uh, the George W. Bush uh, invasion. Uh, are we now coming back to a situation where, as there are lots of tweets about that just today, that there is going to be a thaw between, uh, a, a, a rapprochement, so to say, between some of the Western powers like France and Russia, including over possibly the Ukraine? Um. I, I think that this is a clearly a trend, but it's still open for sudden changes again. And, uh, you mentioned Iran, and I, I really think that Iran and the, the nuclear deal, GCPOEA, uh, uh, is, is, uh, is going to be a hard nut to crack. Uh, but here you have the, the tendency for the Trump administration or Trump himself to again shift from this uh, hardline, super hardline against Iran. Uh, we'll see what that is worth, but that has caused so much worry in Israel and in Saudi Arabia, for example. Uh, and, and this uh, now recent case about the Kurds in Syria uh, raises again the question of can you, can you trust the US? And with increasing such questions, uh, then of course uh, uh, Russia is quick to try to exploit this. And uh, if Zelensky in Ukraine is able somehow to create some kind of uh, movement towards uh, some kind of a solution, then that will also facilitate, of course, rapprochement. But you can't have uh, many, many more uh, points of disagreement between major European countries and the US uh, if you want to avoid this trend to rapprochement with Russia. And uh, I was uh, coming back to Mogherini for a moment uh, on one issue where she was really adamant. Uh, without mentioning the America by name, 
was um, was her uh, the stressing of the importance of the EU work to protect the multilateral system, the global multilateral system. And here we see almost every day American steps taken last on a, a Open Skies Treaty and so on, which essentially uh, puts us in line with the Russian policy, which, uh, which with a few exceptions, uh, of course, INF, uh, CFE Treaty and so on, but still the Russians have been much more faithful to the, uh, to the uh, multilateral and bilateral treaties than the Americans are now currently uh, uh, being in their, in their posture, which is a, must be a very strange situation for European decision makers. Mm. Of course, uh, the Americans would say, and the NATO officials do say, that it was Russian non-compliance with INF. Uh, that may made or created paved the way for the U.S. decision to withdraw. But so you have, I mean, this uh, and, and this in turn is linked to the missile defense uh, issue. And then you have uh, another reminder of it, of everything. But why? Like, but why yeah. open skies, for instance? Yeah. I mean, why? Yeah, is, yeah. 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 No, I'm not. A, I'm not questioning it. I'm, I'm seeing also the same thing as uh, everyone else that there is a. Why, a long chain now of steps taken by the U.S. to show that America first, if when operationalized, means uh, means uh, this uh, means uh, attacks or question marks about global trade, uh, about aid, about uh, regional policies, about nuclear arms, uh, and about uh, the Iran. So it means everything, and for us as Swedes. All steps taken to undermine multilateralism are bad and dangerous steps. So, so I mean, the, the optimistic uh, conclusion of this would be that we must hope for and expect a reset in American policy towards uh, a, 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 a clear declaration in support of international governance and, uh, mm. yeah. and, uh, and at least back to where we were during the second uh, George W. Bush uh, mm. uh, administration and during the Obama period. Yeah, that's necessary for world peace for, yeah. for this yeah. time. Maybe the nuclear issues will, will pay the way out of fear for the yeah. alternatives yeah. Yeah. for that. We'll Can see. I propose that we, uh, we, as a final point in this already fairly uh, wide-ranging podcast, say a word about uh, the future, which is of, often the most important and difficult thing to talk about, of course. But there are a couple of thematic threats that we are concerned with. We are talking about uh, a new uncontrolled situation when it comes to migration, uh, where the, Greece, uh, the Greeks are already bracing themselves, establishing camps on the, on the, on the mainland, to relieve the burden on Lesbos and other islands. Uh, that's one vector. And another vector, of course, is terrorism, uh, where uh, we are all vulnerable, basically. What, what is your forecast here? Can I, do you? Forecast is that uh, that is the worst case and the, and the less bad case uh, uh, probability here. The worst case is that uh, as a result of this uh, Turkish intervention now, 
uh, and all the things that will be kicked or could be kicked uh, down the road from from this uh, will uh, lead to this uh, the Idlib crisis uh, somehow uh, deteriorating even quick more quickly. Uh, it will be impossible for Turkey to handle uh, in, internal uh, refugees that are now stuck at the border from entering into Turkey and then there will be a full-blown crisis inside Turkey and that will crack the uh, the EU-Turkey agreement from 2016. Uh, then uh, further on along that uh, disaster route you have uh, uh, Greece uh, having to handle the lion's share of this. Uh, there is still also the central Mediterranean route uh, via uh, uh, cracking Libya and all the difficulties there. But I think the, uh, the Balkan route uh, will be in danger because if Greece has to build up large, large camps uh, at its border area uh, towards, uh, towards Europe, mainland Europe, towards Bulgaria, towards, towards Macedonia, etc., then it will be perhaps very difficult for to keep the Balkan route so-called uh, stops and then uh, you have a full-blown crisis, uh, you never know. Uh, so that is uh, the worst case and the, the, the less bad case will be that there is, there is found some kind of solution halting the crisis development that, uh, that we now see in those various Syria areas. Let's not forget that it's not just Syria after all, it is all, all, all the refugees coming from Afghanistan and from Iran and from uh, Bangladesh uh, from, because of climate change, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So it, this is a global challenge, not a, just a European one. Uh, and then on terrorism, finally, uh, yes, uh, the worst case is uh, that uh, everything falls apart in northern Syria. Uh, ISIS will return in various ways in Idlib. Uh, the 10 or 20 or so armed jihadists will somehow escape from there and then swell into Turkey and then you will see bomb explosions in, in Paris and in, in, in uh, London and in Stockholm again and causing enormous anxiety and creating enormous pressure on the value systems on which our societies are built. But these are worst case things, but let's not ignore, ignore the worst case. There are less bad solutions, but it's, it's somehow a real threat. Yeah. And uh, we are uh, then scheduled to come back fairly soon with uh, another podcast, which uh, will uh, complement the picture on the Middle Eastern side with, uh, with a more general uh, outlook towards the South, uh, towards Africa towards uh, longer-term trends, uh, mega-trends, which uh, affect uh, our situation in Europe vis-à-vis -vis Africa and the Middle East, um, including, of course, environment, climate change, uh, demography, and, and what have you, poverty. And um, uh, this, again, is all done uh, uh, out of curiosity, of, of course, from our point, but also as a contribution to the work um, done now under the auspices of the Royal Swedish Academy of War Sciences uh, and the project more specifically on, on uh, um, security in, uh, in Europe in a, changing, in a changing world which we are currently um, 
promoting uh, with a specific em emphasis on the southern dimension of European security during this semester.